Welcome to the Fragile Not Broken podcast from a rosy place for children. Now here are your hosts, Mark McGill, the Director of Community Engagement, and Teal Bishop, the Executive Director and Chief Visionary. Welcome to our latest edition of the Fragile Not Broken podcast, being brought to you this week by the fine folks at Zent Family Dentistry. We're joined now by uh, Steve, Dr. Steve Zent. Uh, How are you? Doing great, thanks. Thanks for being here, and of course, Dr. Sheena, good to see you as well. Thank you, you too. Uh, Teal, hello to you. Hello. Uh, you're always here as well. So, a lot to talk about on this podcast. We want to talk about, you know, Mankey's disease, obviously, and the, the Mankey March coming up. But tell us a little bit about uh, both of you and, and the beautiful building that's been open about a year that we're sitting in here today, Steve. All right, well, uh, we, uh, husband, wife, dentist, and we met back in dental school. Um, 15 years ago, whenever that was. You don't have to tell them the year. <laughs> <laughs> we fell in love with each other's teeth. Yeah. <laughs> we met in dental school, and then uh, we got uh, um, engaged about last year at dental school and uh, moved to Fort Wayne for, what, about a year? And then uh, we moved to South Bend, uh, brought two practices downtown, um, and we renovated those into one bigger practice and kind of outgrew that building. And then last year we... Moved into this new building here and uh, been a been a good mix here, I think. Wow, I love that story. I didn't know that. I told Steve it's nice to come to a dentist office and, and not be scared. <laughs> and, and realize you're going to leave probably pain-free. Right. So. Today we certainly are. Yeah, it's always just pain-free here. Yeah. <laughs> See, exactly. That's what I'm looking for, Dr. Steve. That's exactly right. Um, just a beautiful building. and it's, it's a lot bigger inside than it looks when you drive by Douglas Road. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, we uh, like like Steve said, we outgrew the building a little bit. We knew we were growing, and we just wanted to make sure that we um, kept our building comfortable. And as we were, you know, growing with our patients, we wanted we were also growing with our team, and wanted to just, you know, make sure that we were able to still provide the quality and the comfort. Well, it's just beautiful, and uh, we're honored to be here today. Uh, talk for a minute about how you got involved with uh, with the Rosie Place, and and, and why, and and uh, how you heard of us. So um, we got involved with the Rosie Place. We had actually heard about a Rosie Place through a friend, whose um, mother helped form a Rosie Place. So uh, Fermi Okunlami and his mom mm-hmm. um, Boonmi, and um, so we had heard about the fundraisers, and you know we talked about going one year, and and somehow didn't make it and and fast forward another two years uh we had a son our second child and um we had a diagnosis a pretty devastating diagnosis that um rendered him medically fragile and when that happened we needed a lot of help and we were just navigating this new sort of this new water and a friend of mine asked me to reach out to Rosie Place, speak to the nurses, and so I did. And um, we set up an interview, but just even the 20 minutes I spent on the phone with the nurses at a Rosie Place, I just knew that, that this was going to be a partnership and that it was going to be so helpful for us, both emotionally, but also for our son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, it was just going to Rosie place and having Nolan stay there and um and then there was a partnership could you maybe explain to to us you know um maybe both of you what what it's like to to be the parent of a medically fragile child um 
you know, something that, that we talk about and when we go out and do presentations that, that we, we try to explain, but I, it's one of those things that, that until you're in that situation, I always say that we're very lucky to have Teal for so many reasons, but the fact that, that she lived that life, that she uh, built a rosy place through the lens of a medically fragile child, but um, it, it, you really don't know unless you have a medically fragile child, which comes in, in all sorts of, of shapes and sizes, I like to say, in, in, in different, uh, different kinds of medical fragility. It's a tough thing, I think, to put into words. I'm sure there's an actual medical definition for what a <laughs> medically fragile child is. I don't know what that definition is, but to us, I think it's kind of a child that's completely dependent for everything. And we, yes, newborns are dependent for everything, but they're not medically dependent. You're not worried about your child, you know, choking on their own saliva and dying from that potentially. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just that escalation of things. Uh, we have an older daughter and a, a one-year-old now, a six-year-old and a one-year-old. And yeah, there are a lot of work as children, you know, as babies especially. But And we all with children have been through that. But having a medically fragile child is just completely different. Where It's hard to put into words. It's that being a parent but being a medical caretaker i mean you're you're the doc. luckily we are we have doctorates and we have medical training but it's beyond what we were comfortable with and uh just going through that day to day 24 hours a day middle of the night um you're just never never off duty that's the uh i think that's the biggest yeah thing. you're always on and it's every day is you just have to, it really teaches you to live day by day, minute by minute and get creative. So, and by that, I mean, you know, you're sort of putting out fires as they come because there's no pre-planning. Um, before we had a medically fragile child, I was, Steve can attest to this, very much OCD and <laughs> type A wanting to plan out everything. And with our oldest who uh, thankfully is healthy, it would be, oh, well, I don't know we, if we can do that because it's just around her nap time. That was like our biggest, <laughs> you know, problem. And with a medically fragile child, it's totally different. It's, uh, okay, we can't go to the beach because he doesn't have the reflexes. And if a sand blows in his eyes, he doesn't know to close his mm. eyes. And then he could get his cornea scratched. Whereas our healthy reflexes will force our eyes to shut. Well, a medically fragile child can't always do that. So it's these little crazy things that you would never think about on a daily basis until you're put in the situation where you're responsible for somebody else who can't do anything mm -hmm. on their own and it could result in pain for them. So, you know, the beach is just a small example, but you know. I think one example I used to tell my friends sometimes when they would ask is, I think everybody with a child has woken up in the middle of the night or in the morning and there's no sound. And you're like, wait, is my, I need to go check on them. Are they alive in there? And just kind of half jokingly, but you know, maybe not half not. But with, you know, Nolan, it was, it was serious. There are times you'd go into that room and you go to check and you literally were seeing, is he still breathing? Cause you weren't sure. And, uh, or, you know, one of his monitors goes off in the middle of the night and then you're wondering, is this it? And so I think it was just that different level of, okay, check to make sure they're breathing, just going through the motions with a regular healthy child to, okay, this could be legit. And mm -hmm. that, that happened often where his monitors were going off. We run downstairs at 2 a.m. We've got another child sleeping. 
now we have to kind of we're googling things do do we need to call the um ambulance what do we do with our other child what do we you know it's like kind of a domino effect and all these other decisions that you have to sort of make on the fly um that you just you have no training in and you don't really know how to navigate that or when it's going to happen again is this a false alarm is this really serious yeah what what I remember is one of the critical things that I felt like you know my, my other friends were dealing with was this issue of breathing like Steve you bring that up I mean it's a very real thing when you have a child that is compromised in any type of respiratory fashion and you you literally do have to go look and feel and are they and when you're living in that high level of stress right you don't realize it because right you're going to do anything for your child you need to do and so you just do it but like you mentioned Sheena it's you know, most people aren't thinking about children breathing, right? We don't have to worry about can they breathe? Is their airway open? Um, I remember Max was on a ventilator and I had um, hit one of the tubes and all the water went down to his throat. Here he is, he's choking. And I just did that. And I just was like, oh my, like, so it's this level that you can't really, right? You can't quite describe it. When you're looking at your child as, you know, are they breathing? It's, it's, you go way past the, you know, are they gaining weight from, you know, breast milk or formula? You know, it's just a whole nother, that's a whole nother level. And, and critically thinking about their breathing all day long, all night long. It, it, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a wearing that, that most can't understand. Thankfully, most can't understand. Yeah, thankfully. And, you know, you know, another example of, something that you don't normally have to think about and we don't think about this anymore because luckily our our remaining two are healthy but even just nolan sleeping and him waking up crying right you want to go comfort your child well we couldn't just pick up nolan and sit down and hug him he Mm -hmm. has a cpap on he's got a breathing or i mean a, a feeding tube he's got a catheter they're all placed in strategic areas on his bed so now in order to pick him up just to give him a hug we have to turn off the feeding tube, disconnect this, make sure this isn't kinked to this other tube here, and and then you know support his head because he can't lift his head up. So it was such a hard thing to get used to. I don't think I ever got used to it as far as just wanting to give him a hug. And then mm-hmm. also with a fragile child, you can't, like we couldn't expect him to ever hug us back. You know, he couldn't, yeah. he didn't have control of his arms. So you're kind of doing this one-way hug and, and trying to, maneuver around all these tubes and it's just challenging yeah what's interesting is i never thought of this but you know both of you being doctors you maybe had a slight advantage but imagine somebody who who has no medical experience teal tells a a great story when when the the day that you left with max after seven months and and everybody came to say goodbye and, and this gets me every time tell tell the story of of when you left and and it kind of you know speaks to steve's point about 24 hours you're never off and and you have to be everything you know not just a dad when i've got two daughters you know and and i was just a dad but but you've got to be the dad but you've got to be you know everybody else and and, and when you tell everybody that came to say goodbye to max it's just it's stunning to me well you know he was in hospital for almost seven months so by the time we left you know, just like you're talking about, Sheena, all the tubes. and I mean, it's intimidating, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I always, I kind of giggle at myself like, I'm a smart cookie, but really, I now have to be, right? Everybody coming to say goodbye made me realize very quickly and very visually, I now have to be the doctor, 
the nurse, the OT, the PT, the speech, mm-hmm. the dietary, the respiratory, all this team of people that have been taking care of them. And now it's on me. Mm-hmm. And it was completely overwhelming. And it doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence regardless. Like, I'm just sure your, your medical training does not give you confidence, even though you know more medical terminology, right? Even though I was in hospital with him for seven months and watched, you know, his journey of coding and then recovering and, you know, kind of what are, where are we going to end up here? It does, still does not prepare you um, for, for taking on the challenges that, that we face with these children. I think we had that same realization uh, <clears throat> after we left Chicago. This might be when he had his feeding tube put in, or maybe it was when he got the CPAP, I think. And we got home. That I mean, The ride home was rough. He was crying the whole time. And then that night, he goes to bed with all the new monitors on him, and it, and just things were going off constantly, and he wasn't happy. And it was just a constant night of just screaming and crying that night. And then we're just, we started crying. So yeah. like, wow, is this life now? And it was right. that harsh realization that things did get better once we got everything titrated to him and figured out his meds more and that. But it was a, that was a real tough night. Did you have nursing care at all when you had no. Nolan? No help in that way, huh? We were eligible, but there's just such, there was such a shortage, and I think that's yeah. nationwide. But no, we we didn't. And I I was calling um, a lot of the home health care companies mm-hmm. and waiting and this and that, and never really came about. But which is still an issue today that yeah. we're, we're trying to tackle. But yeah, I remember I did. I was fortunate enough to have a nurse for um, four hours to help us get set up right? All the equipment mm-hmm. you're talking about, like, is the ventilator set right? Is the, you know, are the tubes where they're supposed to be? And, um, and I remember Max looked funny. He like turned a funny color, right? And I was like, well, I looked at the nurse and I said, well, he looks kind of funny. Does he look funny to you? She's like, well, I don't know. You're the mom. And I'm like, I don't know. You're the nurse, <laughs> you know? And so needless to say, we went oh. back and we have found that with um, a huge number of families, you end up going right back and saying, you know, like, is this right? Am I doing this right? And so we went right back to the ICU for 24 hours because we just didn't have a lot of, there was no training. There was no mm-hmm. confidence in taking him home. And you had to be your own best advocate for your child. Like you mentioned, they asked you, well, is that what he normally looks like when you have a disease that no doctor in the area and whether we went to chicago i think there's one doctor in chicago that had at one point treated another kid with Menke's disease back in her residency i think mm-hmm. it was but obviously no uh, doctors around here had seen a child with Menke's disease and there's this one at chicago children's hospital and nobody when we were in detroit uh, for his diagnosis so nobody had any idea what he was supposed to look like we were the experts and us and our facebook group Facebook was our savior when it came to talking to other parents with Menke's disease and how to uh, provide for our child. And we would literally print off things that we found on our Facebook group, take them to our doctors and say, this is what the surgeon did for this child down in Louisiana or over in Ohio, whatever it was. And it's, you know, it's a little bit of the blind leading the blind. Um, Right. Yeah, we had doctors ask us um, when we asked about a certain medication or, you know, we think he's there's some seizure type activity. um, And and I had one doctor ask me, so what do the other moms on the Mankey's Facebook group say? 
So, I mean, that was the answer is to go, you know, talk to these other moms who are not doctors, but have a child with Mankies and, and every child is so different, whether it's Mankies or healthy or not healthy, every child is so different. So, I mean, the nurse asking you, Teal, is this normal for him? It's not like you've been through that situation before. And even if you had, doesn't mean that child is going to be the same as the next one. Totally so. true. Totally true. And you know, and you realize you do become the expert in your child's care. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that really has translated to a Rosie Place for Children is that we make sure that all of our leadership, all of our clinical team understands the parents are the experts. We follow their lead, not the other way around. That's not our role there, right? Because you're now the experts in Mankey, certainly in our region. So tell us about that. Yeah, that's a good segue into just what is Mankey's disease? So Mankey's disease is a very rare uh, disease, mostly found in boys um, because it's a sex-linked genetic disease where there is... um, a protein in our bodies that helps to regulate copper. We all have copper in our bodies. And so there is a mutation in this um, protein. And so copper is was unavailable to get to Nolan's brain, for example. And in a Mankey's child, it, the copper is not able to get to the brain. And copper is responsible for healthy um, blood vessels, hair, skin, cognitive function, physical abilities. I mean, it affects every way of life. Um, and every cell in our body. And so when there's an imbalance, um, that is Mankey's disease, and, um, and, and it really, I mean, renders the person not able to do anything for themselves. It's amazing how just, just one element, right? I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's really, I mean, I, we talk about, right, our bodies and our brain, just how extraordinarily we are all made in just one element Right, yeah. and that's copper in this case. Yeah, yeah who was, would think copper? I, no, nobody, right. I, most people have no idea that we have copper right. and it's needed in our body. Can we not but, inject that? Yeah. Like, come on. I mean, yeah. we can, right, do something. And that, that is something we, to bring it up, we went out to the NIH out in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, and <clears throat> saw the world expert in Menke's disease. And that was what one of the treatments that they have. You can actually inject copper, but Nolan's with Nolan's specific mutation, we could give him all the copper in the world, but he would not have the ability to get the uptake from his blood into his brain to where mm. it could actually work. So we started those, you know, we went out there when he was eight months. Mm-hmm. So is it like an absorption issue? Is we, that what you mean? For by Nolan, uptake? yeah. So okay. it, it couldn't be basically transported into the brain to where mm. it could be used. And every child has a slightly different mutation. I think there's no two Menke's children that have had the exact same mutation. Mm-hmm. Um, so some kids are able to get uh, copper injections, especially if you start in the first 10 days of life. That's one of the reasons we like to bring up awareness for Menke's disease, because if it is spotted in those first 10 days of life, now sometimes they know going into it because it is an X-linked um, disease. So if the mother is a carrier for it, then, you know, there is a 50, 50 chance her child will have. So you can be tested for mm-hmm. that. Okay. Correct. But not a standard test that all mothers are. Correct. No. Correct. Okay. So there, so about a third of the time, it's a totally random mutation, which was how it was in, in our um, case. And a lot of the other moms who have a child with Mankey's, they 
um, knew somebody in their family was a carrier, themselves included, because they had a brother or an uncle or somebody that had it throughout the generations. But for a family that's never had it, such as ours, I ended up getting tested after um, but it is. You have to have it ordered from a geneticist. Then you know. Then you go and have it done. Then it takes six weeks to get the results. Hmm. As far as the babies go, um, I know they're working on trying to get. You can do. Um, they you know test all newborns for all kinds of things when they're born. They're trying to get the Mankey's disease test on that newborn panel yeah. currently so that especially if there's a big impact within that first 10 days huge. i didn't know that that's, yeah that's i mean there's oh, been wow. a handful that have gotten copper in the first 10 days uh and they're walking talking living oh, wow. very very much maybe not a hundred percent normal but a very close to normal life playing soccer all of that mm-hmm. so so really that's the biggest component mm-hmm. or or correct me right what's the biggest component to this advocacy right for mankeys how do we how and what is it that we say when we when we come across this topic or as we um, explore other ones and and keep going in just the general community what what is it that we would want to say for advocacy is it is it that like do we need to promote more early testing Early testing, 100% screening, okay. having more of the awareness in hospitals, OB departments, pediatric departments for sure. Uh, and like Steve said, a lot of that depends on the particular kind of genetic mutation that the child has. Mm-hmm. But even if you know copper injections may not, you know may not help one particular individual. Um, just the awareness of how to treat these patients can really make a night and day difference in someone's yeah. life and their family's life. Yeah, especially, you know, what to look for or, you know, what are those early signs and, and learning about what those are. Do you know what those are? Yes, it's amazing with Nolan. Obviously, we had no idea. Nobody had even heard of Menke's disease. And then when we started researching ourselves, well, Sheena did most of the researching. I was trying to ignore things at the time but when she that's very honest of you steve i appreciate that <laughs> she basically <laughs> I was, it was depressing and we were worried sure. and yeah, it was totally. i wasn't going to you know worry myself so much and uh we attack things in different <laughs> ways like that but uh she basically self-diagnosed nolan with Menke's disease and going through it and when we found that diagnosis and looking at the symptoms of mm kinky hair that's very fragile and you know has no color to it he kind of had this we both are dark skinned and dark hair and then we have a child that was very very light skinned with white hair um something was different there but that could be just a Mm. you know deficiency in just different vitamins or some other just very innocuous things but uh but you combine that with he eventually had an inguinal hernia he had i forget the name of the term for a sunken in chest um he had a bump on his head mm -hmm. a hematoma on his head um when he was born so you piece all these things together separately they're like oh 15 percent of males have this type of hernia oh some babies have this with a c-section you piece all of those things together and it was the puzzle of Mankey's disease for him and you figure that out just just like a mom would, huh? Wow. <laughs> had a lot of sleepless nights yeah. when, you know, you know yeah. something is wrong. And I don't like, I don't have very much patience in general, which <laughs> I'm working on. But I just couldn't sit there. And I was just, you know, doing exactly what we tell our patients not to do is go on the web and Google all this stuff. Right. So that's what I was doing. Um, and also just, you know, just trying to find other doctors or other people that might have 
heard of this or might have experience with this. And ultimately, that's how we ended up getting the diagnosis because my sister's friend saw a picture and I talked to her and she recommended going to a pediatric dermatologist for our son's hair being white uh, and all of this, you know, all of these different little things. So Wow. And was that, was that local? Did you, did you talk to a pediatrician locally, and what was that response? So we did. We've got a really great pediatrician. Um, it was more of, you know, we approached her at the two-month, three-month, four-month, you know, we were comparing, we were comparing Nolan to our, our first child, a healthy girl, and she was very much ahead of the curve on a lot of things. So that's what we were comparing him to, and she was just, you know, letting us know and trying to reassure us that, well, you know, not not all kids go at that fast pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, around the five, six month mark, she she did say, yeah, I, I think that getting some genetic testing would be a good idea. Uh, and that was at the same time I was talking to my sister's friend who's a dermatologist out on the East Coast. And she had seen some pictures and said, I think she actually approached my sister who then told me, you might want to get them looked at by a pediatric dermatologist, which hmm. I didn't even know those existed right. no. at the time. Yeah. That was through Instagram. I think she saw a picture of yeah. Nolan on Instagram and then approached Sheena's sister and said, you know, she might want to get this tested by a um, pediatric dermatologist. And so we would have never thought of that. Now, we had to go to Detroit for the genetic testing because we don't do that around here. Right. And then we went to Chicago for the pediatric dermatologist, but she actually took a hair sample. And that was our, I mean, we basically already knew, but that was our clinical diagnosis mm-hmm. there, I guess. And, um, but then a month later, we got the, the blood sample test back and found out. Um, that it was confirmed. But it was, you know, it was amazing power of social media. Once I was just going to say, yeah. yay, it was used for good in yeah. this scenario. That's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. And great doctors. And, you know, we're, we had so many great doctors. They didn't know. That's not their fault. That's part of awareness. But they also can't know about all the diseases that sure. are one in 500,000 kids or whatever the number is. And uh, we had some great care. We even had one doctor that came to our house. Uh, the hospital was I don't know if the hospital was closed, but uh, um, the clinic was closed because uh, we had a bad snowstorm and what mm-hmm. year would that have been? And he actually drove to our house because we were getting ready. Is that when we were getting ready to go out to the NIH? Yeah, yeah, we were getting ready to leave on the plane and we had called. We had had one appointment. We called and kind of left a message that, you know, Nolan's really having trouble breathing. We're, we're about to go on this plane, going to this, uh, the National Institute of Health, and we're worried. And he brought a piece of equipment, drove in his van, came over, showed us how to use it. I mean, it was amazing. And this is a local local doctor here. So that was really... That's incredible. And incredible. there really are some, you know, you know, we talk about how many missed it. And we talk about things that weren't done mm-hmm. right because that's, that's really easy and evident. But there are some really phenomenal physicians. Um, Dr. Okunlami that you mentioned mm-hmm. was Max's physician and... I could go on and on, and we, we might even do a podcast about her, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we need to. Yeah. So you get the diagnosis. It's it's very rare. I mean, you self-diagnosed it more or less. Then what? I mean, what what's after that and, and after the news sets in and you go, okay. I mean, th- then what? It was so rare and unknown. We literally, I felt like, just grabbed on for the ride at that point. It was... Yeah. It was at, a shock. Yeah, it was a shock. At first, yeah, there were a few days of shock and a lot of crying at home. But then it was, 
then it just things like once he got to around that time we got the diagnosis seven eight months in there just things started to pop up almost weekly we were we were doctor's appointments multiple times per week in the er a number of uh, times er a lot of trips and getting new equipment each time new medications like when you're you know giving how many medications probably up to 20 medications per day and it's not giving a pill or anything it's he's got a feeding tube and you're trying you have to inject this into the feeding tube making sure you're getting it into the right tube because there's multiple tubes coming out of him uh it was just constantly something new and scary it was like a crash course in i don't know in in life lessons it was the first you know first shock then um i mean there's a thing called anticipatory grief so there's definitely a lot of that you know grieving all the things that you expect to do with your child like go out for a you know an ice cream cone can't do that can't eat absolutely go out to the park and go on the swings can't do that you know and so there was a lot of the like steve said a lot of crying well it was it was yeah it was a lot of the expectations of what you picture your life to be with a healthy girl and then a healthy boy it doesn't matter what gender but you know what that's what we had at the time and that's all gone yep and then um sort of the grief of not only is that gone but we have nolan has a, a this is kind of a death sentence for him and we don't know how long we have is it a year is it 10 years and how does that impact our life and and making sure we can maneuver that and still give our other daughter, you know, a life she deserves. Well, I was kind of thinking that, Steve, as you mentioned, now you you this whole new regimen, that, that this unknown regimen that you have to go through, but yet you still have to be a parent to your older, healthy daughter. You still have to, oh, yeah, be dentists. I, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just, it's that's, I think, the side of this that we kind of touched on in the beginning of the podcast, uh, that until you live that life, you can think you know, but you really don't know. I mean, your life didn't stop because of this diagnosis. It got, you know, in fact, a lot more complicated. We were very fortunate, and we still are very fortunate. We have our nanny, Amy, at home where, uh, you know, she didn't sign up for being a we caretaker. We love her. Yeah. <laughs> Amy's awesome. She is. Uh, she didn't sign up for that. She signed up to be, you know, just taking care of a, a little one. And uh, she didn't shy away. I'm sure she was very nervous about things at times. But uh, her being willing to take Nolan to doctor's appointments, learn his medications, giving him those injections, you know, getting all of his equipment into the car, which that's no easy feat, and taking him to the appointments. It was she allowed us to have some sense of normalcy throughout the day and still come to work. And we were taking a lot of time off work, Sheena especially, to go to Chicago for doctor's appointments. Um, but Amy allowed us to live our as normal as we could at that time. What, what I find, um, and certainly in your family's experience, you know, there is no time to accept. Time mm-hmm. becomes this ambiguous, like it's just, it's, it's right, it's, I don't even know how you describe time in your life, right? You didn't, with a degenerative disease especially, there's no real time, um, you know, unless it's sort of a long term. But you kind of knew, right, that this wasn't, where we weren't going to have Nolan forever. We knew that. I know we struggled at a rosy place with that because he's, He's the most adorable child ever. I mean, he's yeah. just his smile. I mean, just so many things. He just was incredible. Um, 
But yeah, the time, the, the, the acceptance, the where do we go from here? And it sort of really just doesn't, doesn't change that. And then, right, then you're going to enter into a phase of right now, now we've lost Nolan. Now you got to go through all those things again. And um, I know you have such a beautiful family. You have um, two amazing, beautiful girls. Um, tell us a little bit about what life is like today. Well, we had a lot of friends and family, and, and they would say, I don't know how you're doing it. And at the time, with Nolan around, we were like, we don't either, but we just are, and we haven't even had a second to think about it, and we don't have time to think about it because we're just you know, doing it. And now we look back and Steve and I have talked about this a lot and we still don't know how we did it. And, you know, especially right after Nolan passed away, you know, he, there was still all of his medical supplies and all of that and took a while to clear that out. But it was just, I found myself like walking around the kitchen and I told Steve so many times, I'm like, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should be washing medical syringes, getting um, medications ready for the next cycle of meds. And I just would just walk around aimlessly because I just didn't, know, quieter, I didn't know what to do. Right? With was it quieter? Quiet. Oh, my gosh. So much quieter. quieter. Even yeah. I think it was. I mean, he's been gone for a year and a half and it was like a couple months ago. And, and I woke up and I said, I swear I just heard. Mm-hmm. A f- like a feeding tube monitor beeping. Mm-hmm. But it happened a lot at the beginning after he passed. Similar to, we've all had that feeling where you think your phone's vibrating mm-hmm. in your yeah. pocket. <clears throat> he had his feeding tube that, you know, we'd have to fill it up every night before bed, but sometimes it would get kinked or if we didn't put enough food in there, then it would run out or it'd have a blockage and it would start beeping. And that's what would wake us up sometimes in the middle of the night but since then you still have that feeling every once in a while i could have sworn i just heard that sound and uh we know it's not there anymore but it's it's a weird weird feeling it brings back emotions and uh, never goes away yeah you know definitely a sense of in a way peacefulness just with the emotional burden being somewhat relieved, but then taking on the other emotional burden of grief. But those are two very different things. And I think time to, we've had some definitely more time to kind of catch our breath and actually get more than three hours of consecutive sleep a night, which has been really nice. But yeah, I mean, kind of trading one thing for another, Sure, which is hard. Sleep was the, you know, in a positive if you want to look at a positive about the situation we got rest after mm-hmm. that. you don't realize how tired you are when you're going through something that you're just going on adrenaline night after night after night and then eventually when you got full nights of sleep it was and one uh, of the things we don't talk about too often at least publicly that that maybe we could be brave enough to say is what it does to your relationship right like Marriage is tough stuff. I say it all the time, right? No matter what, marriage is hard, right? The best of marriages are really hard. And so you insert this critical illness of certainly, especially like a child, not just one, you know, spouse or or husband or wife or, but what that does. So I imagine right today you have more time, but you have to become reacquainted like you're different people on the other side of it, right? And, you know, again, 
marriage is hard. A lot of, a lot of marriages don't survive. So I just say, you know, love you both for still being here yeah. and sticking it out. And it's tough. It's just tough. Well, we added the, the extra layer of being business partners at work all day, every day, too. So it was, uh, it was stressful all around during those times. Well, you need, need to be commended, Steve, because earlier Sheena said, you know, I don't have the most patience, and you bit your tongue. You didn't say a word. So I looked at you, and you, you smirked. I chuckled a little bit. But, but I, I'm proud of you as a fellow husband. You sat there and went, yep, I'm going to let her have this. So. I'm learning slowly but surely. Yeah. You know, well, Steve and I have very complimentary styles, where. I have no patience on, on some things and he has a world of patience yeah. and other things and in other ways it's flip-flopped and yeah it somehow it really works at least I think so <laughs> I want to get to the the March here in a quick second but as you were talking Stephen and you too Sheena man just the the fear of the unknown as you went through all of this is what really just kind of took me from from not knowing what to do sometimes hour by hour and the unknown of of just how long you had Nolan left. I mean, that just that I'm sitting here, and that just struck me as you hear the phrase "the fear of the unknown." But you really were living every single hour of the day, just unknown, not knowing what was next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Menke's disease, the prognosis is I think it's a fatal disease, and most child children don't make it to three years of life. Um, many of them don't make it to one year. So we knew going, once he got the diagnosis, that three years was kind of that cap that we probably weren't going to get more than three years. But, you know, when you're on a, one of the great things about the Mace, or the Menke's Facebook group was we learned a lot of information. One of the sad things about it, though, is, you know, every week or two, somebody would be posting that their child died that day. Mm. And it just would really bring those emotions that wow this is going to be us before Mm -hmm. long and it probably helped us cope as time went on too seeing that other parents and helping them through it online but uh that day-to-day was so tough and never forget the day when our nanny amy texted us we were at work at our old office and we got the text said i think it's time you guys come home Mm. yeah Uh, going back to what you said about the you know, the kids on the Facebook group, um, you know, on the flip side of that, there are a lot of kids that are six, seven, ten. I think the oldest Mankey's child just turned 28 Wow! because there are so many different kinds of mutations and, and that leads to different lifespans. But you know, what does that look like? 28 years of life, mm-hmm. not being able to talk to, you know, and, and so in different kids, it's different as far as the quality of life. And we had a lot of discussions on that, but I also think, you know, quality of life, meaning getting your child out of the house. Nolan loved getting out of the house. He loved going to the library and he loved going to a rosy place. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely a win-win for us because we couldn't leave anybody, I mean, in charge of Nolan except for our nanny Amy. I mean, even our families loved him to death, but it was so overwhelming and they are not in the medical field. So having a place like a rosy place besides having Amy was, I mean, Amy she's just such an amazing person but she was in sort of in the trenches with us all week we could never imagine asking her to come on the weekends right she needs a break just as much as as we did and so having a rosy place around to kind of bridge that gap was really nice and and i think nolan obviously loved it Ugh, we loved, uh, we loved him all right so let's talk about the Menke march we're going to honor sweet nolan and bring Yay! even more awareness uh to Menke's disease Uh, during a really fun morning here uh, on October 9th.
Yes, October 9th, and, and you and Teal allowed it to be possible, um, along with Chris, to have the march at Four Winds Field, which is really amazing. We're so excited to have it there. Uh, I've never been out on the field. I know a lot of people haven't, and so um, we'll get to go out on the field. We will um, see some some photos of Sweet Nolan and learn about a rosy place and Mankey's disease, and we hope that everybody uh, can come and have a great time. And your amazing friends and family. I mean, wait till you see this, oh, Mark. Just... The drove. They come in droves. <laughs> yeah, so they are. So These people know so many people. They're too young. I mean. If somebody wants to get involved in the march and join us on that day, where do we go for more information? How do we do that? It's going to be just really, um, we were talking about it before we started the podcast, and I'm even more excited now than, than I was before. It's going to be really a great day. Yeah, we've uh, there is a Facebook group um, or event for the Mankey's March, and um, there is a website at, through Rosie Place to sign up. Um, it's fifteen dollars for an individual, thirty for a family, and um, we do still have some T-shirts. Uh, we've got some cute little Nolan bands, and um, yeah, really just. Mm-hmm. Also, our website at rosyplace.org has more mm-hmm. information. You can get signed up that way and, and, and link to it. And, and Mark, and you posted something on Facebook about just this event. I so did, absolutely. So you can go to our, the, the Rosy Place yeah. uh, Facebook page. And uh, you two are both just incredible. I, I have heard so much about <laughs> you literally being at a Rosy Place and seeing the pictures of of sweet nolan and and you're even more amazing than they they're a good looking that, couple oh my gosh yeah, well that's dogs, that's you know right? i mean they're absolutely. not dogs no <laughs> not, not at all i mean i'm sitting here looking at steve going i don't like you i don't like you at all because you are a handsome man <laughs> and, and sheena is just beautiful so uh uh, yeah, just thank you for your time today. Thank you for your stories and 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 you know thank you for Nolan. We we just loved him as much as you did, and and it's just um, I guess just thank you is all I can say for everything. And and thank you for for the the Mankeys March and and all the proceeds are going to benefit a Rosie Place, which is just so incredible. And we are just so grateful for that. And and um, we do we we just love you both, and so thank you. Thank you. We appreciate uh, you guys allowing us to have Nolan's legacy live on. It's our honor. It's he our absolute honor. Yeah, absolutely. As as both of you are. So thank you again, Dr. Steve, Dr. Sheena Zent, Zent Family Dentistry. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to our latest Fragile Not Broken podcast featuring Dr. Steve and Dr. Sheena Zent. We hope you enjoyed it. This week's podcast was brought to you by Zent Family Dentistry at 3410 Douglas Road in Mishawaka. For more information on their amazing practice, visit ZentFamilyDentistry.com. And to learn more about the Menkes March to honor sweet Nolan Zent, head to our website at erosyplace.org. And thanks to the Schwartz Weikamp Foundation for powering this season. Stay tuned for our next Fragile Not Broken podcast coming soon.